Shut up and sit down. everyone and welcome to the podcast tonight we're going to talk to Julie James about her alternate persona JJ Morrison which is her pen name for her pro works uh and um she's um you can check out her site at jj-morrison.com um it looks it looks beautiful over there I really enjoy browsing it and you can look at the excerpt she has for her book which comes which comes out July 15 um while she's off getting a snack, because she is getting a snack, uh, I wanted to uh, do a little housekeeping. We have just about six days left to do your po- um, project files for um, Rough Trade. If you um, you have to submit both at once, not just one. Keep that in mind. Uh, I know I said originally that I was not going to distribute my podcast, but there have been people who've been having problems with... Um, doing the RSS feed themselves, or um, not being able to use CastBox. So I spent um, a couple hours today um, checking that out, and I've submitted my RSS feed to iTunes, to Spotify, to Blueberry, to Google Play, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, and just a few minutes ago, Podcast Attic. If you have a podcast um, provider that you prefer to use, and are having a hard time adding the RSS feed on your own, um, just let me know, and I'll try to figure it out. So, there's a question in the uh, Ask Me Anything thing that's pretty relevant to um, tonight's podcast. Uh, it's about um, picking out your pen name. Um, I I think it's best, uh, but we can do a whole big thing on it. Um, I think it's best to pick a name that, um, well, one, that you don't hate, Two, that you're willing to answer to. Three, that um, there isn't a lot of them. So go over to Amazon, check out, see how many times, you know, the, the name pops up in Amazon. Um, don't obviously pick a pen name that's very famous. That would be ridiculous. You can't go around calling yourself Nora Roberts. I mean, you could, but it'd be dumb. And most publishers wouldn't let you do it. They'd be like, no, you're not Nora Roberts. You don't get to publish as Nora Roberts. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's not how that works is your name actually Nora Roberts no shut up <laughs> sit down um but also uh don't pick one that's hard to spell don't um don't try to be a gimmick don't try to pick a single name you're not Madonna either um or share. Um, you want to pick a name that you can live with for potentially a very long time I have a friend who says that you should pick your pen name um, based on where it'll show up in an alphabets list like a, a publisher's alphabet order like if they publish like you know so you want to have like a, B, C, 
like for your last name or ABC for your first name, or you can do like A for your first name and B or C for your second name. Or, you know, because she has this thing about being at the top. She wants to be on top. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. She's got issues. She wants to be on top. She likes to be in, in, in bookstores. Um, you're put in alpha order by last name. Um, so if you want to be eye level outside of fronting for new books, you know, there is a rhyme or reason to that, to that. So it's, up, you know, also don't pick something super stupid long that will look weird on a book cover. You need balance. Um, my first pen name was ridiculous, and I'm not saying it. Uh, but my first pen name I picked out when I was 12. Uh, I signed it everywhere. And I signed my book with it. And yeah, it's just no. Yeah, it was bad. It was very pretentious. Jane Austen wish she, wishes she was that pretentious. Anyways. Yeah, don't don't hyphenate. Don't hyphenate. Um, So, anyways, Jilly, have you arrived? I have. I don't even think, am I muted? Yeah, no, I hear you. Okay. Do you hear me? Yep. I've got like, you know, I've got so many different ways to mute that um, I think there's at least three. <laughs> I have to make sure I'm not muted in all the places. Well, first, um... Is this your first time publishing? Or is this just the first time for this new name? Fiction. First time publishing fiction, yes. It's not my first time publishing, but it is the first time for fiction. So you did Which what, is, like, nonfiction or technical writing fiction? Not fiction, uh, but, you know, technical writing manuals and stuff? Manuals, yeah. Or product guides or white papers, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like pulling teeth over here. Talk to me about it. Um, talked about talk about why you picked the name you did, and um, oh, the pen name. Uh, yeah. Well, the, well, I picked. Um, this is, you know, when I was at when I was first started writing, I was convinced I was going to write under my real name. Right when I was twelve, I was going to write under my real name. I did. I did not pick a pen name out when I was a kid. I was going to. Fuck that. Um, no. So, but then I was like, why in the world that I, you know, the internet came around and uh, I was like, no, pen name is the way to go. <laughs> so uh, I, um, I'd always figured that I would like not ever make a connection between when I first started writing fan fiction, I always figured I would not make a connection between my fan fiction name and my, my professional pen name. And um it, uh, that just, uh, I think, I think uh, probably because fan fiction was so judged very harshly in the publishing industry. Uh, and, and when I first started writing fan fiction, and I don't think that that, I think that's changing. And, um, I think probably savvy publishers recognize that there are, uh, you know, that it's, it's a much more competitive market than it, than it ever has been in, in fiction. And a lot of fan fiction writers, bring audience with them so that it's you know maybe fan fiction isn't such a bad idea uh anyway so i had i had other pen names picked out and i initially had a different 
uh, first name for the last name Morrison. And then I decided I wanted to kind of do a little tribute to my fan fiction pen name. And that's where JJ came from. Mm-hmm. So that's the JJ Morrison. Now, the funny thing is I picked this pen name um, in March of 2018. Well, actually, I, well, that's not true. I picked it closer to my birthday because I remember thinking about the pen name my birthday. So I picked it back in um, January last year. And then I uh, <laughs> I bought the domain name in March for and I bought five years, but the you know I tend to renew my domains for five years at a time because that's the best price. And um, somebody published under that name <laughs> on Amazon that month, <laughs> so it was Oops. like uh, yeah. Oops. So there is a JJ Morrison's got one book on Amazon. It's not me. I'm <laughs> just saying. So if you go over to Amazon, that's not me. So anyway, so that was a little. Well, but, isn't it like a uh, um, an inspirational title? I don't think we get that confused with you. <laughs> um, I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I want to say it's historical fiction. Hmm. I'm not. I don't. I don't remember. I, th- I think it was historical fiction. Oh, fantasy, some sort of historical fantasy type thing. So, uh, but not romance for sure. So, I remember distinctly it wasn't romance. So that's definitely not me. Um. So the the picking the pen name it's surprising how much angst there is around that whole thing, uh. But Morrison came from um. It's it's a it's a derivative very closely related to a a family name, so that was uh. My first pen name was um a bastardization of my real name. Um. Because I wanted my real name on it, but I'm not dumb. <laughs> yeah. People are crazy. Um, and then I picked a... Um, I mean, there are... You know, I have some pseudonyms that I only use for... Um, the pay-by-the-word work I did in college. Uh, which count? I mean, that's a, that's a, that was a pseudonym that I used. Uh... I have, I have two active pen, three, three counting Kira active pen names right now. But when you pick your pen name, it's it's a very intimate process because people are going to be calling you that. They're going to send you emails with that name on it, and you know, like yeah. I said, you don't want to be, you don't want to hate it. Definitely. I mean, and that was part of the reasons why I went with. Um... JJ was because I can, <laughs> I it's funny I campaigned for a long time to be called JJ over Jilly, but uh, you know it didn't work, and then it kind of stuck, and I got used to it, and then I liked it. So it just it, it took me a while though. Uh, I don't know. I had a very a, a very r- stubborn uh, social group at that time when I adopted that pen name because I I picked the name coming out of the X-Files fandom in, in honor of Jillian Anderson, but I wanted to spell it with a J because I prefer the J spelling. Because uh, I think the G spelling is is prone to mis- mispronunciation. People look at it and go, Gillian, no. Um, so I wanted to spell it with a J. And um, I 
I was I always introduced myself to people as Jillian and I always use Jillian, right? And people kept, people start calling me Jill. And I don't know why I didn't, it didn't gel in my brain that Jill was the obvious diminutive for Jillian, mm. but it didn't because I, I do not like the, the name Jill. I mean, I've, I've met some lovely people named Jill, but for me, it, it could not bear somebody calling me Jill. And so I, I just was going through this battle of, you know, don't call me Jill. Don't call me Jill. Don't call me Jill. I said, JJ is fine. You know, that, that'll work. And people just kept calling me Jill. And then one day somebody called and said, well, do you mind if I call you Jilly? And I was like, no, if me, if, if, no, that's, that's actually fine. It's cute. And, um, and then I don't know, everybody, everybody took it. <laughs> it's I cute. Going, I said, it going, call cute. me, call me JJ. And everybody's going, okay, Jilly. <laughs> like, okay, Jilly, whatever you want, sweetheart. You okay, sweetie. <laughs> as long as at that point, I was like, as long as they're not calling me Jill, I'll take it. <laughs> so, um, when uh, I, I did want to just kind of do that, that you know, pay homage to my 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 fandom persona. It's not even a persona. This is me. I don't actually have a fandom persona, but my fandom pen name um, in my original fiction. Since I decided not to use Jilly James, and I probably. Um, I probably didn't actually need to use a different pen name. I probably could have just done Jilly James. Uh, <laughs> googling, googling, googling Jilly James on Amazon is a is it was an interesting endeavor. Um, there isn't another author that I can tell. There are some other people in other creative fields named Jilly James. Uh, but anyway, but I do have other pen names um, that I use professionally. I edit under a different pen name, and I could have published under that, but I just, I don't, for some reason, it doesn't resonate with me yet, even though I've probably signed off a lot of emails with uh, that other name uh, because they use it editing. And then um, the very first pen name I came up with, probably when they first started doing domain registrations, like I registered for this domain. But I would definitely save it for kinky works. <laughs> I mean, in my head, that's always been, if I ever write really kinky stuff, that's the pen name that's going with it. <laughs> <laughs> so you had, so it's like, you've had a domain for decades that you haven't used. Yes. That's hilarious. It's, it's, that's the kinky pen name. It's sitting over there waiting. Uh, <laughs> but once I, you know, once I got the pen name, I was like, okay, you know, because I, I mean, it's, I've got a lot of original works that I've started, but um did never really go anywhere with, or didn't finish. They went somewhere, but I didn't finish them. As you do. So, um, I think part of that question was about keeping your pen name straight. I actually don't have a problem with that. Uh, no, it's a mindset. Um, I have a schedule. If I sit down, this is my schedule. This is who I am right now. Which just kind of like sounds like a dissociative personality disorder, but it's not. I promise. Uh, I have email accounts for this pen name. I have email accounts for this pen name. Um, yeah, they don't all get like shunted into into one, you know, email account or anything like that. Um, I actually no, it have, would get. Are you different? Yeah, you definitely uh, don't want to put them all in the same mailbox. That would get no. I mean, I <clears throat> they do all download to my um, to like I don't actually use Outlook, but they they download to my Outlook equivalent, and there is a view where they could all be in the same mailbox. But I don't ever go into that view because no, 
That'd be ridiculous. Um, have I ever accidentally answered to the wrong name? Um, no. I think part of it was, you know, I got involved in the scene um, when I was 18, so fairly young. Uh, and I went by a different name and scene. So starting at 18, I got really used to being called something different. And spent quite a lot of time. And, and I started, but I start I got online um, when I was 12, which means nothing to somebody who is, um, you know, 12 now that they first got online when they were 12. But I first got, but that was 1985. Most people didn't have computers yet at home. So, you know, my mother worked for IBM and we got one of the first um, um, PS2s at home. I think it was like a $4,000 computer or something like that. Wow. It was ridiculous. And so, you know, and there we are at AOL and Prodigy. And, this, you know, we started on Prodigy, actually. And um, I think my mother recognized the inherent problems with the Internet um, before a lot of people did. And so she encouraged me not to use my real name uh, online. <laughs> so I was actually told a horror story um, about it. Uh, Shortly um, before I published for the first time, um, I was I was young-ish, not as young as Margaret, but youngish. I, I never in the, first, the the first time I tried to get published, I did get published. Um, I just never really been interested in that part of it. I mean, like you know, not outside that making money thing to to buy stuff in college. That doesn't count to me. It, it really isn't. It's like it's really separate in my brain. You know. Um. Well, that's not true because that Christopher Poloni guy who did um, the uh, Aragon book, he was 16 when he um, when his parents helped him self-publish that first book. Um, but, uh, oh, okay, the horror story. Uh, I was in a writing group and someone said, did you, because I was talking about whether or not I wanted to use a pen name. And she said, you definitely most certainly want to use a pen name. Haven't you heard about that Harlequin writer? And I was like, what a Harlequin writer? Apparently there was a Harlequin writer. I'm not sure if it's an urban legend or if it's actually true. And she was wheelchair bound. Married. And she wrote under her real name. Um, she developed quite a following within the Harlequin community. And um, one of her male readers decided he was in love with her. And that her husband wasn't treating her well. He moved to her state. He moved to her neighborhood. He bought a house a few streets away from her, equipped it for her wheelchair, and then knocked on her door and told her he was there to rescue her from her shit marriage. And I was like, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm getting a pen name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Urban legend or not, it was really fucking successful. It never even crossed my mind. I have never, ever online used my real name. I think I probably have it on point. Amazon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I probably have at some point, but not. I mean, I mean, like I don't even use my real name, like just to to comment on on like random things on. Like if there's a comment section on a news article, I don't even use my real name for that because people are the trolling, the trolling mindset is, and people will stalk you over really crazy stuff. So 
There was a time when publishers did try to own pen names. That's no longer um, a thing. Uh, and if you encounter a publisher trying to own your pen name, you need to be like loud and proud about it. I mean, because they need to they need to be put on blast for that kind of bullshit behavior because it is not on. Um, but there was a time when um, Harlequin was known for it, uh, where you would see an author put out several books a year. Except it wasn't one author. It was several authors writing under one pen name that, that, that the company owned. Ugh. Yeah. That's icky. But in some cases, they stole. Contractually. So, like, say, if a, a writer uh, contracted with them, um, they would sneak it into the first couple of contracts that they owned the pen name after a certain period of time or whatever. And if she moved on, she couldn't take her pen name with her. That is just really ugly. They don't do that anymore. They got sued. It was bad. Well, in a way, I mean, it, it's also a little bit like fraud. Um, and yeah, I because mean there would be four or five different authors writing under one pen name and you know readers can tell that shit mm -hmm. you know your favorite author's tone really really well yeah i mean unless you're being told like um there's been like some writing duos that write under one pen name but you know that they they they're writing but they're they're co-writers they write all the books together so, which is completely oh. different, and that's disclosed up front. Um, what? I hear the weather alarm going off in the background. Let me check the weather. Um, tell me about your first um, publication experience writing fiction, then. How did that, how did that go down? Um, well, I wanted to, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been writing for a long time. And um, until I had decided to write um, fan fiction, I had only written original fiction because I didn't have any idea what fan fiction was. So, um, and I think that there's, uh, there's just this, this point a couple of years ago, I guess, where I went, you know, even if it's only one book, I want to, I want to publish something. I want to, I want to write something. And, uh, we talked on a podcast a while ago about a problem I was having gelling with original characters. And I think I kind of had a breakthrough about what was going on there. And I'm like, I just need to push through this, uh, this problem I'm having with it. And I, cause I started so many different things, um, so many different projects and I liked the story ideas, but I wasn't just not getting to the end. I'm like, I just need to push through. So I did. And I finished the story. Um, I finished it sometime in, I finished it, finished it like sometime in April, but I knew I needed to like revise some things. I'm like, I needed to give it some time, some space away from it. And so I submitted it in, in May, early May. And um, I heard back from the publisher a couple weeks later, which was, I was like, wow, that was quick. And they sent me a contract that they wanted to contract the book. And um, it's this weird sort of surreal thing where it was like, it felt like time was dragging on and at the same time, it, it all went actually very fast. Uh, in some ways, when I like look back at, at how it went, it was like I was like, "Wow, that actually went really quick." Um, except that it it felt like it didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was very strange. It's sort of this strange, like time warp thing. But when I consider, I mean, May felt like it just was like every day felt like it was three days, and then. Um, 
Yeah, on this on. I mean, you contracted in May and you're publishing on July fifteenth. So yeah, yeah. It, so it was fast, uh, and it was uh, on the publishing side, like the the whole. You know, there's. I think there's a lot of like trepidation and and nerves a little bit about is the publisher going to hate it? Are they going to are they going to tell me they want a bunch of changes? And the only thing the publisher asked for was that I change the title, but I knew the title was terrible. Uh, I had just had no luck thinking of a title. I was like, this title isn't very good, but I'm just going to go ahead and submit it. The day before I'm yesterday, not- I titled her sequel, and yesterday I titled her her nano for next year. <laughs> I should have I, I just, just asked Kira for title help to begin with. Um, the thing is, I'd asked a few people about the title. They told me, oh, the title seems fine. And I was like, hmm. This is where people will blow sunshine up your ass. And what was the, the original title? title? The original title uh, was The Makeover Trap. Um, that's the original title. And then I changed it to The Makeover Artist. And that was the one I submitted to the publisher. And the publisher went, Nope. I think we need a new title. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, a lot about it, right? <laughs> yeah. She, like, oh, honey, no. <laughs> she was very nice. She was very nice about it. <laughs> she was. She was very sweet about about it. She says, "I think we need a new title," but she didn't ask for anything else. And I, I, since I was expecting that, it was like a kind of relief. I was like, "Oh yes, we do need a new title." Um, and then she just, you know, she worked with me to bang out the title. And and she's like, okay, I think we're done. You good, you good with this title? And I was like, yeah. And that was that. Um, and then, you know, and then I got my editor assignment um, really quickly. And I heard from the editor back within a week on the first edits. And I think that there's like, for me, there was... Um, I wasn't Hello? sure how... Yeah, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about the first edits because I've heard horror stories about the first edit. Uh, but the thing is, I've done editing. So I felt like I knew what it could be like, right? I, I had a feeling I knew what could come out of the editing. So uh, so I didn't think I was going to, you know, it was going to be awful. I'm like, if, if, if they... If they th- throw the worst at me I've ever thrown at an author I guess that could be upsetting actually (laughs) but but I'm hoping that I actually didn't have some of those problems and um, there were some things I wasn't expecting in the editing but nothing that bothered me Uh, it was um, you know minor content changes it was good is that when my first edits, like when I was really young, when I first got started, they were really bloody because of my grammar issues. But you're a really clean writer. So I wouldn't expect yours to be one big blood fest. And it wasn't. It wasn't. And I mean, I disagreed with the editor about a few things about like on the grammar and punctuation front. But, you know, and I and I told, you know, I told him, I said, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to say I'm too precious to be edited, but this is the way I've been trained. And here are my references. Um, if, if we could, if you could let me know why you think we should make this change. Um, I'm, I'm amenable to learning something. So I tried to be, not be, you know. Precious. Yes. <laughs> I specifically told them that. I said, I'm not too precious to be edited. I, I, I'm, I'm just disagreeing with you about this because I don't find any citation. I've, I can't find any citation that says this is the way you should do it. So uh, um, current citation, I guess I should say, because there were some older citations that said you should do it. And he was really good with me about that. So um, 
he let me kind of push back about a couple things and 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 but for the most part i tried to take his feedback on board and he was also it was also really good because sometimes i i would see his point um and i appreciated that he would suggest a way to do it differently um and that he didn't get butt hurt if i preferred to go a different route with how to fix it so um so what I did is I took it on board some of the feedback as um, this isn't quite working and here's how you could do it as not I, I don't like that, but rather as, okay, there is a problem and that doesn't quite work for me. So I'm going to find a different way and see what he thinks. So, um, and that, so that, that worked well, but so most of the time I just accepted his stuff. It was like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but sometimes, and I think that was, I think because mm -hmm. I've been an editor, I wasn't worried about saying that doesn't work for me. Check your sensitivity on your mic and make sure it's down. At too low or too high? Um, I think it's... I'm getting a drop, um, but my connection is solid, so... Mm. Okay, let me so I'm wondering if it's just up. not picking you up entirely. But, um, you know, I, I think that if you approach editing um, as a learning experience and not something... As something that... Um, it's not personal... That uh, really helps. Of course, writing is very personal. But when you get to the point where you're in an editing in a professional setting, it's no longer just your book; it's a product. Right. And I know writers don't want to hear that, but that's just the bald truth. And if you don't want your work treated like a product, then you don't need to publish professionally. You can take your butt over to Amazon and self-pub and stroke your ego if that's what you want to do. Was that ugly? <laughs> no, I think it's truthful. I think it's truthful. So um, I tried to go into the whole editing thing with with both my own experience, my past experience as an editor in mind, as well as um, the being receptive to uh, the change, the changes that I would need to make and accept that I would need to make changes. And uh, I think one of the things that helped a little bit was I wasn't asked to cut anything. So that probably made it a little bit of an easier <laughs> experience because I wasn't asked to take anything out, except, you know, I was asked to change some words, but otherwise I wasn't asked to like trim down the content or anything like that. So that helped. Um, mostly it was, can you expound on this? Or that was too abrupt or this seems awkward. So and of course, what I would say about trimming down is that often when you're asked to trim down, that's because you didn't actually follow the rules. You didn't follow the instructions. Because if you submit for a line that says, okay, we, we take between 10 and 20K for this, for this particular line, and you submit 25, but you want to be in that line, then you're going to have to make cuts. Yeah. And a lot of writers think that they should be exempt from those kinds of rules. Well, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so cuts I mean unless you're just info dumping and you're not an info dumper so that sounded really terrible <laughs> info dumper <laughs> oh especially in I looked over and looked at Dark's comment and that didn't help at all it's just um yeah info dumper Oh no! Thanks, problem. Queenie. Jeez. Great job, Queenie. Excellent use of the, uh, the poop emoji. Yeah, excellent. Um, 
it is um i mean i've done that i've i've had that moment when i've been reading somebody's story and i've been like oh this scene it hurts the pace and it conveys nothing right um, and you kind of have to like, and I hate telling somebody that going, this, this scene doesn't seem to further. And I've been fortunate that I've worked mostly with really receptive authors who are like, you know, this, who, who just, who take on, mostly take on that feedback. And, um, you know, the, the one author I particularly told a particularly long scene wasn't furthering her story and it kind of just slowed the pace down at a really critical point. She just said, oh, we can take it out. <laughs> It's like, okay. Uh, but, you know, I was kind of dreading that. I'm like, what if he wants me to take something out? Um, <laughs> For me, what I dread is what if me to put something in? <laughs> yeah. And I that did... doesn't work with me. I'm a plotter. I've, put, I've already put in everything I want to put in. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing, well, I can go a little bit off the rails sometimes I he I did get asked to put one thing in it was it was relatively small um, but the place he wanted me to put it in I was like no 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 I'll put it in later but the thing is I went from a play putting it in a place the place he'd suggested that I put it in there's two characters right in the scene and so I go to putting it in the thing he wants done in a scene where there are seven characters which makes it more complicated you know to to navigate a conversation with seven people. So it wound up being, you know, a little bit more of an ad than just, can you explain this a little bit better? Like, what was I thinking? But it really, I, I felt like it was the only natural place that this thing he wanted me to explain would come up, right? So, um, and, and, I mean, it's not, it's not a secret that the story is about a Navy SEAL or somebody going into SEAL training. So that's in the, that's in the summary. Um, and he wanted me to explain what Bud's was. And at the place he wanted me to explain it, I was like, but the two characters who are in the scene both know what it is. So it doesn't make sense for them to explain, right. to, you know, the, to people who who know what it is. So I have to put it with people who wouldn't know. And then, and then that's when I have seven people. So yeah, exactly, Dark. I'll do what you ask and make three times the work for myself. So, uh, but he was really positive about where I chose to put it. Um, so, it was that that was that was good. Um, so I did, you know, getting getting asked to add something. Fortunately, it wasn't like you know we need you to add a, a major plot element. It was like explain an acronym that winds up turning into like a half a page of text. It's like, be like wow, that's a no from me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew explaining an acronym was going to take me half a page? Um, I did. I knew. <laughs> you you could have asked me. I'd have told you. Um, I once had my agent tried to tell me I needed to add um, this one thing. And I was like, well, if I add this one thing, then I have to do this, 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 and this, and this. And I did that thing I do to you guys about ripples. And 25 minutes later, she managed to get a word in. She says, you know what? Never mind. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, you got, you know, you just can't just stick something in. And she goes, you know, I actually have more pantsers than I do plotters. And now I know why. I said, don't be rude. <laughs> I got issues. Well, well no, but the, it, the problem there is if, is if she tells them to make that change, their, their pantser might go make the change and not even notice that they gave themselves a plot hole. And neither will the publisher who ends up taking it. That's the hard part. <laughs> 
you know, that's the part, that's the problem. Do you need an agent to get published? No. But if you sign a contract with a big New York publisher, do not sign that contract without an agent. If you've got a publisher in New York willing to give you a contract, you won't have a problem getting an agent. Get an agent. They earn their 10%. Because a big pro house will screw you if they can. That's just business. Because you don't want to end up signing away all your rights in one contract. Because if they can throw in movie rights in a paragraph on not, on page 19 that you didn't read, they will. Yeah, I will say... I, I... The, the big pump, the big contract would be a hard thing to I would to get through because I mean I was able to read my contract completely and understand it without any issue at all. Um, my contract was actually really straightforward and it wasn't very long, so that was helpful. But when you've got really big, big contracts, it's and they're asking for print rights and ebook rights and audiobook rights and foreign language rights. If you see the words foreign language rights in a contract, you need an you need an agent. So, no, you don't. You need an agent. Because even an intellectual property lawyer isn't going to have the experience you need um, to work with a pro publisher like um, Random House or Penguin or um, what's it? What's the other one that's really Har Harper Collins. Harper Collins. If Harper Collins is on um, the table, you need an agent. Someone who is entrenched in the industry and who knows all the tricks of the trade. Because an intellectual property lawyer might not. And um, might not have the contacts you need. Might not have the experience you need. Might not have the knowledge you need when it comes to the actual contracting of a, a, of a work of fiction. So if you've got a big name on the table, you get yourself an agent. It is like 100% important. If you're working with an independent publisher like Cobblestone or, um, uh, God, so, so many of them have closed. Um, Dream Spinner, Riptide, Riptide. Um, MMR, um, um, Siren, uh, Liquid Silver, uh, Wild Rose. Is Wild Rose still in publishing? I think so. Wild Rose. Um, those are going to ask for simple rights, ebooks, um, Siren. Um, they're going to ask for um, ebooks, sometimes audio, and sometimes POD. And if you get a foreign language offer, it's going to be separate. Um, and they'll be able to help you contract that. Um, and you definitely want to buffer between yourself and a foreign publishing house. So if you don't have an agent, using your independent publisher to contract those rights is probably a good idea. Um, because while they might be able to be willing to screw over an individual... They're not going to screw over a, a, another publisher without consequences. Yeah. Not saying they won't try to do it, but there but there will be consequences, and it will and, and it will be known, and they won't be um, they won't get another victim. Let's put it that way. But an individual, there there's bargaining power in numbers. It's one of those things I'm like, do I, would I ever want to be in a position where I need an agent? Maybe. Do I want to deal with that whole thing? No. 
No, no. <laughs> I would like to write a book that I thought was, you know, worth sending to HarperCollins. That would be great. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I, I mean, because I would, I would have to, I probably, if as long as I was continuing to write romance, I probably would, you know, want to stick with um, Cobblestone. I think I would only, um, like, if I went away from the romance genre is the only reason I would submit to a different publisher. Because at least right now, I don't think Cobblestone publishes non-romance or at least I mean, they do erotic erotic romance central romance thing but um but i could be wrong about that at least everything i've seen that they are focused more on the some fashion um on the romance genre which is you know it's, it's a good fit for me it's a good fit for um a lot of our peeps i like the small process i like um being a name and not a number. Yeah. I feel like, you know, that if I had to reach out to anybody that I've worked with at Cobblestone, that they would actually, you know. Respond. Yeah. Respond <laughs> and recognize my name, which is, would be nice. Is nice. I really, I just really liked, I liked everybody I've worked with. So that's been, um, I liked the publisher. Um, and I'd heard really good things from you and Lady Holder and, um, Shortly, Margaret seems to be happy, and uh, and I've got another couple. I know a couple other people who are published there as well. So and I've never heard any complaints. So I was like, well, that just seems like where I want to submit to. So, and I talked to the publisher about uh, a sequel that I'm writing for the story, and she's interested in the sequel. So that was very exciting too. So that's already in the works, and um, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that would be later this year. One thing I would say about talking to the publisher about a work, when you put a work on the table for your agent, for your publisher, for your editor, you are informally writing on spec. That's to say that you've told them you're writing this. This is when you're probably going to submit it. They're looking ahead to see that project come their way. Right. That's informally writing on spec. When you write on spec is when you write a proposal to your um, editor, publisher, send it to them and they send you a contract. <laughs> and then you have a really formal due date. And Cobblestone does let in-house authors write on spec. Uh, but writing on spec makes me nervous. I, I don't like it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm really comfortable. I mean, I I'm more comfortable. Um, with it than I would be if I had given them a specific proposal. Um, Cause all I pitched it would be a holiday themed sequel. And that's all I mentioned about it. it and she said that she'd be interested. So, uh, but she did tell me, we did talk about when I would need to have it in by. So that, you know, definitely formalizing the due date gets me working on it. Um, I've done it. I've written on spec in the past. I, you know, it's stressful. It's it's even more stressful if there's a check involved. I mean, you know, if, if they send you money, you know, you're like, I already cashed the check. Now can I write the fucking book? <laughs> yeah, I would. I would definitely not want to be in that situation at all. <laughs> Please don't send me a check. Because <laughs> it's like I when I finish it. when I finish the story, um, it is on the shorter end for me. Uh, it's and normally I. I it probably, it was probably a good thing actually that I finished the story and I wasn't ready to be done with the characters because that meant I kind of had a breakthrough about the 
um, character side of things. And uh, so I had already plotted out um, the sequel. And so when I mentioned to her that I was working on it, I was it was really encouraging that she was interested in in, in getting the sequel. So yeah, I <laughs> know I feel the same way, Dark. Don't give me money until I'm done. <laughs> that would be I'd be like, uh, no. A lot of writers, professional writers, do write on spec on a regular basis. Um, and the reason is is because getting money from distribution takes time. I mean, the first book I published, I was still getting royalties from physical book sales four years out. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're if you're paying your bills and you need to write on spec because uh, getting that check <laughs> up front pays your bills. But also yeah. it's really fucking stressful. Yeah. I could see that. I could definitely see that. Do you get separate checks? Um, well, this is Jilly's. This is Jilly's interview, not mine. We'll, we'll come back to that. Put that in the ask me anything, um, ask me question, a thing, and and we'll do that. We'll do a whole podcast on that, on that process. Um, what was your most interesting um, experience? Uh, well, you, this isn't your first original product, and I don't want to treat you like you're a newbie. But, uh, uh, but it's very, it's very different. Especially usually when I write written manuals and stuff, I'm not the only contributor, um, and so the, the the process is really different, you know. Um, and usually, I'm working for the company that's publishing the book, so I, I'm not getting into a contract. Um, you know, the, the company is like, you guys are going to write this book and then, then they publish it. So, I mean, there's a, there's some product manuals that I'm a contributor on that somebody's using as a doorstop at a networking company right now. I'm fairly <laughs> sure. Um, you get those, you get those, you know, those thousand page product documents, <laughs> you know, published hardbound that you could actually kill somebody with. Yeah. That's so those so it's a very different process. It's like it gets turned over and then I, I don't hear another another word about it. I didn't even get a copy of it. So it's just it's very different. Um it's very different. And so I would say I think the most interesting side of it was the art. That was a very interesting side of it. Um because for, it starts with the with the art form because they want you to describe the story and they want you to pick up, um, you know, give examples of covers you like so they can get an idea of what kind of um, uh, get 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 an idea of what kind of um, what kind of what kind of what kind of vibe you like in your stories. Uh, so I think that 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 was 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 interesting to fill that out and go, well, try to describe the characters and what they look like and um, what the vibe of the story is. And if, and I think I even, I think they even ask you to describe what your like ideal cover would look like. And, and the thing is, I think because it's, it's male, male, that, that there's, it's really limited in, in terms of like what's available. Um, Cause there's not as many like stock, stock photos that are, are approved. I, I didn't even know this, that if a stock photo isn't marked acceptable for a gay cover, that it can't be used for a gay cover, which kind of startled me, right? Because I was thinking, you know, artists, they just, 
they just have their stock photo account and they can just put any two guys together they want. Apparently not. So, you know, that it turned out to be, a, I think that there are, it, there's challenges for creating um, the cover art. And I've always really liked Cobblestone's cover art. So I was really, um, when I got my final cover, I was, I was super, super excited. It was just, you know, well, it's I was gorgeous. Bit... I was like, wow, those two are really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was kind of bouncing in my seat. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's my book cover. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's never, I don't think, I don't think a book cover is ever a perfect representation of the characters in the book uh, that I've ever noticed, unless the book is written and you've got a, you've got a, a specific cover shoot, you know, like you're a really big name and you, they've done a specific cover shoot based upon your description. The only way to have it be exactly right is if you've got the cover first and you are writing based upon what you see. So, um, but it's pretty close. It is pretty close. I will say the, the, uh, the cover artist who did my book cover, um, she, she got as close as I think she possibly could um, with what those guys looked like. So yeah, that was good. I do have two podcasts in the past about talking about going pro. Um, I'm going to link them for you guys. And um, Jillian and I will listen to them. And then we'll do an updated podcast on that on that topic. Um, did I have to... Sh okay, did you have to shift your writing style a lot or a little since it was original, not fanfic? Um I don't think it's that far off of my writing style. It's um, I I don't I don't actually think it's the the difficulty for me was in is in getting into was getting into the characters because I had character bios but I didn't I didn't feel like I was connecting with the characters the way I do with fan fiction characters but that was the breakthrough I had was that I realized that the fan fiction characters I feel like I connect to. I've written hundreds of thousands of words with them. And so it was a little bit unreasonable to think that I would connect that resonate that well with a character that I have written, you know, for 2000 words at that point when I was like struggling with the characters. Um, and I realized that when I do, you know, branch out into a new fan fiction character, I do struggle with them too. So I think that it was, um, I think it was a, uh, it's just, level setting my own expectations it was this the lack of familiar with the characters was a big speed bump for me uh as it's probably a lot because i'm a character driven writer so um i'm very I, I will choose characterization over or my oh no i didn't i'll choose characterization over over the plot you know the plot i had what i had plotted out if my characterization says i need to change the plot i will change the plot to keep a character in character. Um. <laughs> um, one of the things that was suggested to me was that I try to imagine the characters as like a fan fiction character, but these two characters, I hadn't developed them in any way that was remotely similar to any fan fiction character that I'd ever written. Um, so, uh, and no, I, I what? I don't consider that good advice. Which? That wasn't my advice, was it? No. Okay, good. Because that's bad advice. <laughs> so 
Someone, I mean, it was it was something that suggested you know, as something you could do, and I was like, mm, that doesn't really feel it. Mm, the characters are since I developed the, I you know do do work up the characters before I start writing them. It was like, well, how I can't just mentally insert a fan fandom character in there, so. Um, well, the thing is, is we work with archetypes, right? In, um, in original fiction and in fandom. But if you build the foundation of your original character on top of a fan, of a fan fiction character, um, you're, um, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're, uh, you're not growing as a writer. I mean, yeah, it might work, but I, I it feels shady. Yeah. I just, it's not it's not the path I wanted to try to go down to kind of deal with this. And I thought, well, I just need to sometimes I've talked on other podcasts about how sometimes writing is an act of will. Well, it's always an act of will, but sometimes it's an act of sitting down and making yourself do it. And so getting to dealing with that 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 problem for me was an, it was an act of sit down and and write these characters. And a lot of my first edit was going up. By the time I got to the end, I felt like I. I had a better handle, definitely liked the characters more and I had a good handle on them. And a lot of my first edit was making the care was a big character edit. I was like, I'm going to make them a little bit richer, you know, than, than they were in the first draft. So, so that was the, that character, that side of it was different. And I don't usually have to do that with fan fiction. So that, that was a shift, I think, but I think in general, I don't think that there's a big shift in the tone over the way I usually write in the story, but you might be able to better answer that than I could. Um, I actually, um, you have a very clear, precise tone as a writer. Um, I see it in your, in your fan fiction and in your original work. Uh, I will say that like me that um, in fan fiction you're not always as careful with your word economics very true I'm not at all careful <laughs> um, and in your original work you were I was very careful I was like I'm not going to put anything I've tried not to put anything extraneous in um, but you know that's the thing about fan fiction. One of the reasons why it's a hobby for me is that it helps me relax and it opens up my mind, and um, I can afford to be a little vain and a lot wordy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the and get it out of the way. Scenes. Yeah, you know the vanity scenes. But also, it's also reasons one of the reasons why we do the short story challenge in July is because I do think word economics are important. It is learning how to. I mean, this story um, comes in. This this first story uh, is about a little. Well, I don't remember what the final word count actually wound up being, but it's about a little over ten thousand words, uh, which is like, like I said for me, it's really on the shorter side. Um, and it was a little longer in one draft, but I cut some. I tried to make it a little bit more streamlined because I really wanted. I, you know, I, I, my thought was like I really want to just like suck the publisher in and make her really want to read this story, and so I don't want to put a lot of extraneous crap in it. Um, although I half expected she and might have to put in, you put in another section. You started scene. a good point. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And <laughs> a lot of publishers who do um, romance and erotica, they know what their readers want, um, and you might be asked to put in another 
um, sex scene at some point in your story. <laughs> Alora's K, which no longer exists, they went out of business in a very terrible, destructive way. Um, they <laughs> they had a rule based on the length of your novel how many times you had to use the word cock. So I knew more than one author who came to me and said, dude, I got a contract with Alora's Cave. My book's 100K. I need to add 22 more cocks. I need help. I mean, wait. I was like, wait, two, 22 individual cocks? <laughs> she said, no, no, just no, no, the no. Word. Just, just the word. Just the word. I, I said, are you fucking serious? <laughs> you know, based on does that rule. Does it count or is it just cock? She said, no, it's just cock. <laughs> Just based on that rule, I'd be trolling a little bit and putting some roosters in. I'm <laughs> just saying. Did that fucking cock wake me up again? Whatever. <laughs> that um, cocksucker. Everybody in that book would be a cocksucker. Um, it'd be the famous yeah, word. I mean, they were pretty famous for that rule, actually. So I'm not, you know, talking out of school or whatever in, in that respect. That was one of their pretty um, famous rules. Um, that you had to have so many cocks per 5,000 words, I think. Somewhere in that range. I mean, it was, like, ridiculous. So, I think she only used the word cock, like, 10 times in her book. And she had to have 22 more or something like that. Um, wow. So I was like, why they bother contacting your book if you were that short? If you were that cock short? <laughs> just go change all those dicks to cocks. Don't bother <laughs> using penis. Just make it all cock. <laughs> All cock all the time. Well, they also had rules about using the word penis, um, in that in, in that you couldn't use it. That it was that they insisted on explicit terms at all times. And so, even if you had, you said the word cock six times in a paragraph, that was okay. You couldn't use penis. <laughs> Change the character well, name to Cocker. <laughs> no, not Cocker. Get you but but sued by that horrible person um <laughs> cocky yeah well she wants well, the other thing she owns is cocker right she so, owns what yeah um that was the, that was the, the the name of her series she owns cocker brothers oh that's where well, cocky came from out. uh well the last i heard it was still pending appeal but mm -hmm. i haven't checked on the status of it they once it was awarded the only thing they can do is appeal um, the patent and trademark office too. The problem I is, I can't believe the trademark office actually trademarked that word. It. That was the, ridiculous. Well, the problem is, she actually—I think she actually had a service mark on cocky. She didn't actually have a trademark on the word because it was a stylized logo, right? But she leveraged that ruling to to issue to takedown notices on anything that had cocky in the title, which, which was, was worse because it was a stylized logo that she used a font she wasn't allowed to use for that purpose. That was a non-trademarker, non-trademarkable font. But the the font creator said he was aware of it and that if he was asked to like testify he would, but that it was just not something he could pursue because, you know, he cre he makes free fonts. He doesn't really have the money to pursue a, a legal matter, a legal issue on the thing. So she's so much nonsense. <clears throat> yeah. Um, somebody asked. But oddly, about, not as much nonsense as that idiot who tried to tell um, the world that Nora Roberts was riding her coattails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, honey. Okay, sweetie. <laughs> You're not doing great. <laughs> That's not good. Um, the other, the, somebody asked above if I plotted or pants this. I don't 
typically pants, um, and I didn't didn't pants this. Um, even when I pants, it's not true pantsing. I the only thing I ever truly pantsed was um, the Horseman, and in a long time, in a long long time, in years, the only thing I pantsed was the Horseman, which is just kind of a, you know, I was trying to sit down and make some notes for an, a story that popped in my head. The next thing I know, those notes were the first five thousand words. So I was like, well, that just kind of happened. Um, but I actually started, this came, this was a connection to this, this story was, I wrote, I not wrote, I, I plotted and started a novel length um, erotic romance um, about, and, and I, I, you know, make connections. Um, uh, and one of the, the main character in that story um, had, had three close friends in college and uh he moved back to New York and in that story, um, <laughs> I, and so I decided, cause I, I referenced in, in the writing I'd done that I'd referenced his three, three college friends in, in that. And, and I decided I was going to write a story about each of the three friends he had in college. And one of them was Shaw and, um, very cool. And that's, yeah. And that's where, and so I, I had made some notes about what the I, what the stories would look like for the other three friends, and uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, in that story, the first story, um, the character's a tattoo artist, and his name I named him Liam, <laughs> and then I forgot that that was his name when I was working on Shaw's story, so I what needed to name Eric's brother, Eric's the other, the other main character. I needed to name Eric's brother. I'm like, Oh, I'll just name him Liam. And then, Whoops. you know, when it was done, I was like, wait a minute, that's the name of the main character from the first story. <laughs> so, whatever. So that Liam's getting a new name. Speaking of databases, I actually have one for characters or original characters. So I don't use the same name twice. Otherwise all my characters would be named John. <laughs> John. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, no, no, I definitely paint I definitely plotted um the sto the the story. Um all the stories. They're they they're kind of like well, the three, I sort of like three and a half, three and a half plotted. But yeah, but I I actually I want to write a big BDSM novel. <laughs> That would be fun. Big BDSM novel. Yeah. I get to use my kinky my kinky pen name. <laughs> but the um <laughs> it, Yeah. She can definitely take my money on that one. Um BDSM with werewolves that hear? Oh, heal. Heal. My cursor was in a weird place. I was like, what do you mean they hear? Of course they hear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, funny enough, I do have something potty quite like that, Ellie. So, but shh. <laughs> the, um, I liked, um, it's weird because Shaw was the character that got me working on this story so much, um, but I didn't tell any of it from his point of view. So it's funny how those things work out sometimes that in my mind, the main character when I started the story was Shaw, but I think the main character wound up being Eric. So that was, 
uh, I guess you could call that part pants. That's <laughs> what I decided to write it in Eric's point of view instead of Shaw's. But never fair. I will write. I'm writing the sequel in Shaw's point of view. Well, I think the point of view. Um, I. It's not often that I put down in my plot where the point of view is going to be. I think it's a choice you make as you write. Yeah. And I, I don't. I never change point of view in the story. I mean, I could have, but I, ch I chose not to. I chose to tell it all from one point of view. Um, I felt like it would help me to stay more solidly in one character's head, um, get past the issues I was having. And so, um, but that's why I want to write the sequel. Um, and what I've written so far is all in Shaw's point of view. So. Um, what do you mean? Is it like the Tony versus Bruce thing or Styles and Noah? Can you? I think they're having their own conversation because I couldn't make sense out of it either. This is the book you're looking for. You know, um, I spent a lot of time with Ties That Bind. And um, I love the dynamic and I love the... Um, Oh, that you think one is your unicorn, turn out the other one's your unicorn? Yeah. You thought Shaw was your unicorn. <laughs> yeah, but it wound up being Eric. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you went into that thinking one thing. Um, I'm pretty sure Raleigh's my unicorn in, in Fall for You. Um, I'm very attached to his character. Um, well, but I also work diligently Marcus, to make Marcus' sure. brother is my unicorn. I'm just saying. <laughs> Jared? <laughs> Jared's my unicorn. I have I have a very inappropriate crush on Jared. <laughs> but um I worked really hard on Raleigh for people not so that people would not compare him to Rodney McKay. Um because he's not McKay. Uh and still some asshole compared him to McKay. Which is it's just it's like what really? Just because they both drink coffee? I drink coffee, I'm not McKay. <laughs> I drink coffee. Yeah, people are just weird. I mean, I've, I was very careful. I mean, I was, I was, I was very careful not to write either of these characters like Tony. But um, I, I'm fully expecting somebody to draw that comparison. I don't know. Okay, so no, neither one of them are remotely like. Tony. I know. And I don't think I don't think Eric's anything like Steve either. So. Um, no. people might go there too. You just, but that's what that's what fandom does. So yeah. Mm -mm. It's only happened once, but it wasn't nearly as aggravating as the person who got on my um on my on Amazon and pointed out that I was accurate about not being able to write um fight scenes. And I thought to myself, you know what? Thanks for listening to my podcast. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, get out. Just go away. <laughs> Thank you for your dollars. <laughs> mm. He, um, I'm going to actually pair Gabriel and the deputy that got shot, Law. Well, you'll make my mother's um, whole year with that, because she's that's her favorite character. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, Law um, it gets called out to a scene, and he gets bitten by a werewolf. And um, 
he runs. It freaks him out, and he runs. And um, Marcus, the, the the whole pack is looking for him, and Gabriel is going to be the one who finds him. So, I like that idea. I'm not going to tell her though, but, um, because because she'll be bugging me. I'm like, <laughs> don't bug me. I can't make. I can't give you a story, Mom. Stop it. Don't tell her. That's why I said I'm but not yeah, telling her. I, the the moment um, I conceived Gabriel, I knew that um, his his experiences um, living as he did um, would be central to his story. But I didn't want to tell the story of of him coming back into humanity. I wanted to tell a different story. I I wanted him to leverage that. Um, experience and Law's not shifted he's just um, he's changing he's scared he doesn't know what happened he didn't know about werewolves before it happened um, he had no idea that his boss is a werewolf uh, and that he could have gone to Marcus for help he's just freaked the fuck out he doesn't know what's going on or what to do and um, they uh, you know so they have to find him and uh, Gabriel's the one that does. So that's very exciting. <sighs> I mean, it wouldn't matter what 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 you wrote more in that universe. I'd I'd be all in for that. But I want to get Jared. Um, Jared's story will be hit. It, it'll um he's going to get his girl back, the girl that that left him because he was a werewolf and she couldn't handle it. She's going to stroll back into town and. Prove who's the bigger asshole, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so you have one sequel planned. Mm -hmm. And I'm also poking back at, uh, well, I can't call him Liam anymore, but that first, the story about the tattoo artist, I'm poking back on that one. That one is definitely a longer work, though, so that would be novel length. What would you think if your original fiction became fan fiction? I would be flattered. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't read it. But also but, I wouldn't read it. <laughs> I'd, be I would hate you. I'd be like, oh my god, they're bashing my favorite character. Oh my god, does it go? Oh. <laughs> All right. It's, it's one thing to read something and you shake your head over how, you know, the person has that person so out of character. It's another thing to have them out of character with your character. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I get fancy uh, when I see my original characters in fandom used without attribution or used um, inappropriately. Would you wonder? Well, but it's assuming that all fan fiction is about fixing, and it's not fixing. Yeah. Um, but no, I would. I I might wonder, but I would. I would do my level best to resist the urge to find out because um, I just don't want to go down that path. I, mean, I wouldn't be upset, but I, would, but I definitely would not read it. Yeah, I would be, I would be, I would definitely be flattered. Um, it, I mean, I really would be, 
I mean, if I was writing some sort of fantasy story, um, I would, there could be potential for something like that being something on my radar, but I just don't see something in like a contemporary romance inspiring anybody to fan fiction. No. I actually have an idea for a YA project. Um, it wouldn't be under any pen name you guys know, uh, but uh, I think it has potential. I think it has a lot of potential. And um, sometimes you look at an idea and you think, does that actually have too much potential? Do I really want to go down that path? Do I really want to do that? You mean like, um, if it like, were successful, would you really want to deal with that? Right. Yeah. This isn't arrogance. This isn't, this isn't a place of arrogance. It's a place of what if. Like, do you think if J.K. Rowling would known what Harry Potter would become and how much it would infiltrate her life and how much of her creativity would be wrapped up in it for the rest of her life that she would still do it? I don't know. Because, I mean, I would have to think, especially in the case of, like, Harry Potter, that the money that she's made on the series, which sets her for life, right? Right. Um, but there are authors who who didn't ever make the kind of money that J.K. Rowling made, so they'll take it to a smaller scale, who had such successful series of whatever um, that they can't pretty much write anything else because people just go no no write more in the series why are you straying away from the series right i i don't i f i feel a great deal of pity for j for jrr martin's um book that's not game of thrones yeah i, I, I pity that book already and honestly sherlock holmes yeah i mean I, I doyle I had to kill sherlock holmes to write something else and then his fans like lost their shit and he had to bring him back and um, I think I honestly think that J.K. Rowling has the same issue, which is I don't think anything she wrote completely divorced of the Harry Potter universe would be well received. It wouldn't matter how well written it would be because people are like, why aren't you expanding more on the Harry Potter universe? Because that's what they do. But in her case, I don't think it would put her in a position of regret because she's made so much money right. on it that she actually could afford to write under a completely separate pen name and... And, and that nobody knows about and write whatever she wants. Except um, she did that. The books didn't sell well, so the publisher outed her to make money. I'm sure she cool. agreed to it, but still. Well, that's just that's just ridiculous. Um, I see. I wouldn't agree in that situation. If I was trying to to branch out and get not be pigeonholed with a, a series, I would. Um, I would, there, there's no way that I would let them reveal my name to make a few extra dollars because, you know, I'd rather people who like the series for what it is like it and not make a ton of money on it than to um, have it be bashed for not being Harry Potter. And, and I mean, and in her case, she can afford to make those choices, right? And she can afford to never write another book that she publishes. I'm sure she's still writing, but she can afford to never write another book that she publishes. But not every author who got pigeonholed that way was able to make that same kind of decision. They eventually probably had to stop writing or just stick in that one lane. And that's unfortunate that that, that happens. 
that people are like, no, this is what we love. This thing you did is what we love. We want you to just keep writing this. We want you to keep writing this character and no other. And I can't stay in the same lane. You, you might have noticed. Um, I can't. And so I look at this book and I think to myself, um, that's a pretty big lane. But it's not that big. And I don't know. Yeah, it'd be hard, I think, to... I could see how you, you it, it could be a cause for regret down the road. These are really good. <laughs> so Nimmin never, ever tell anyone. Yeah, you, you'd have to. Yeah, you, you'd have to keep her... I mean... But to keep a lid on it. And yeah. that's the thing is, I mean... A lot of writers ultimately don't keep a lid on those other pseudonyms. But the other um, side of it is that you're super proud of it, right? And you want to share it with all your fans. Like, look, look what I did. Look how awesome this is. You know, and then, but you can't. Because then it increases the expectation. And then you get pigeonholed. Or, and then you're stuck there. And when an author gets stuck in a single place, that's where creativity dies. And I, I, that would be really sad if you, if, if, if a, when I, not if, but when a talented author gets pigeonholed or forced to stay in one lane. Because um, I don't think anybody, no matter how much they love a character, wants to write that one character forever. I don't, I don't care how good that character is. Nobody wants to write it forever. It's just like actors, no matter how much money they're making, no matter how successful a show is, sometimes they just don't want to collect another piece of crime scene evidence. They don't want to pick up a single, another fiber, you know, I mean, what was it George They don't Ains? want to spend, George, they don't want to end up on Supernatural season 20. Right. <laughs> was it was it George Eads that talked about like his reason, or maybe it was uh, Gary Dordan talked about the reason for leaving the show that was very successful when they left. I think it may, may have been Gary Dordan. He's like, well, there's only so many ways you can pick up a fiber. You know, it, it's like he talked about. There's like no, there's the acting challenge is really minimal, and there's not a lot of variety, and that like the processing and picking up of evidence is just only so many ways to do it, and. When you think about it, you know, and so people wonder why would somebody leave something successful and go off and do something less successful? Well, it's because they just don't want to be in that lane anymore. Uh, that's that's one of the challenges for creative people is do you want you know is that they don't want to keep doing the same thing forever. I'm pretty sure he left MacGyver because he had a temper problem. Yeah, <laughs> he lost it on set over over an argument. Um, but, uh, which is sad because he's pretty, it's too bad. Apparently he's also got a temper issue. Um, and honestly, nothing is more unattractive to me than a man with a temper. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to get legitimately angry, but to have an unreasonable temper. No. I mean, that's part of being an adult is that you are able to control your actions, no matter how angry you are. And um, I'm just not interested in spending time with people who have shown that they're not grown-ups. I would not want to get stuck with the same series for for a decade. Um, as much as J.K. Rowling's success and money is attractive, the idea of 10 years from now, she's still being 
um, prodded for Harry Potter, um, for scripts and for extra books. Uh, I feel I would feel really deeply sorry for her as a writer. Yeah, because she's not a one-trick pony, and they're treating her like one. And a lot of sometimes authors go way outside their lane, their that their normal lane, their normal genre, and people just they react so negatively to it. Um, and people but, get pissy if you write, you know, for instance, the the, the book I'm going to stick in the middle of my gay series. I expect to get some really terrible reviews on Amazon for it. How dare you write a het romance in the middle yeah. of your gay series? Fuck you in advance. It's not a, it's not a gay series. It was. It's, it's a, a werewolf. Series. It's a werewolf series. You freaking idiot. It's also that probably that same idiot who tried to insert heteronormative hero um, um hero tropes into my gay romance. But okay, whatever. <laughs> and one of my favorite sites now i have to say sometimes an author changes genres to try something new and it was like maybe you needed to think that out a little bit more I, one of my favorite sci-fi authors um i think she did a fantasy series i don't know i was super jazzed that she was writing a new series i mean i was super jazzed and i mean i I was I was of that mindset. I was super receptive to her new work, what else she could do, and I bought the first book and I started to read it and I went, "Oh my god, this is so boring." <laughs> um and I think part of it is sci-fi and fantasy people that they put sci-fi you see the sci-fi fantasy thing put together with a slash in it like it's the same genre and they're very different. A very so got a channel that's calling themselves a science fiction channel, um, who's playing everything but science fiction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got um, at that point in my life, I was reading mostly sci-fi or romance, one of the two. Um, but fantasy, a lot of times, fan, especially fantasy epics, just I just didn't have the patience for them. They tended to be too wordy for me. Um, the description, the descriptive stuff. I mean, sci-fi can be that way, but I would say more often than not, it is not the it is not the gold standard for sci-fi to be really wordy and descriptive. You do as much as you can. Um, yes, you have a lot to describe, but I just, I don't know, sci-fi handles it differently. So anyway, um, so I think she slid too much into the fantasy genre and it's like long descriptive paragraphs. And I was like, I don't like it when Tolkien does this. <laughs> so I just, like, and I, I just know kinda, he got paid by the word. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just checked out from it. I was like, and maybe I would like it now, go back and read it. And I would like it now. But at the, then I was like, no, I mean, I think that if she's, I think maybe going to the people act like they're going that fantasy is a, is like an adjacent lane to sci-fi, but it's really not. Honestly, to me, can, from a from a pace and a setting kind of perspective, I think contemporary is a closer lane to sci-fi than fantasy I is. I agree. I agree. Um, because or even urban go, fantasy, you can go from um, you can kind of shift from contemporary to suspense to futuristic to science fiction. It's a very natural um because because today's science fiction is tomorrow's contemporary mm -hmm. um um and seriously contemporary books written today have so much technology in them that a hundred years ago that they, they would be considered science fiction yeah and there's stuff we read in sci-fi books that exists today so 
you know. Right. Fantasy is more um, close, more related to historical fiction when it comes to a pace, setting, um, characterization, um, plot development, tropes. So I think that that was the issue for me. And the f thing is, I actually continued to buy the books in that series. Because I mm. almost, I also disappointed in myself that I didn't like them. <laughs> it's but like, you I don't continued like to buy them. I continued to buy them. But, you know, at the time, she was my favorite author. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep supporting her efforts. Because I, I really, like, like, believed in what she was, like, trying to do. And I really supported that she was trying to write away from the series. Because I had seen so much negative comments about her stepping out of this this one series that she's and she wrote a lot of books in that series um i think that there's like 16 novels and six shorts or something like that i do kind of want to write a um a ya fantasy project where um Instead of the boy get you know getting the girl, he gets another boy. I'm all in on that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. I, um. And if there is a love a, a love triangle, which I don't really appreciate, um, it's not two guys fighting over a girl. It's a guy and a girl fighting over a guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, 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 we didn't name any authors. We're just talking about authors staying in their lane. We did, well, we did talk about J.K. Rowling. Um, we talked about, we were talking about authors moving in their lane um, and leaving it and what happens sometimes. But I do think if, you know, if, if you've got a, like a big following in a certain genre that, you know, it probably helps to step into an adjacent lane um, as opposed to stepping into a really different lane. And that was the issue for me is she, she wrote really, I think she wrote fantasy very, on brand for fantasy at that time but it was like I, I was like why did I think I would like this I don't actually like reading fantasy all that much <laughs> so it was it was just I don't know that I would write a polymore how you say that Paula polyamory polyamory I always fuck it up because that's why I've read it and hardly ever said it um because I as much as I enjoyed writing darkly loyal um, I did not enjoy writing um, a threesome with John and Rodney. Um, and I don't know. And I think it could be because I can write Harry with Draco or I can write Harry with Hermione and I'm perfectly fine with either one. But um, I violated my own OTP with um, with that story that I wrote for Nano last year. I almost said Polymorph. <laughs> That's no lie. It almost came out of my mouth. But um, I would it, I would want to tell a story about a boy falling in love with another boy. You know, not um, not some gimmick or not something to cause you know uh, lurid curiosity or to um, set a trend with um, um, threesome triad things in that genre. I just want to tell a love story about two boys. <laughs> You know, falling yeah. in love. You know, falling in love. Because the threesome dynamic is interesting to look at, and it's interesting to write, and it's interesting to read with certain characters. But um, it's 
don't know. It isn't the story I'd, I'd, I'd want to tell out of the gate with that with that with, with that particular idea. Yeah, well, it's also very difficult to to. I think it's difficult to write realistic. Anybody who's ever been in any kind of poly relationship looks at most poly stories and goes, <laughs> "Yeah, that's not the way that works." <laughs> no, um, I read a really realistic account um, of uh, how a threesome evolved. It read really really resonated with me about like you know my experiences and that, and it was it was more bumps than for the for this it was this was a trio of men um it was more bumps for them than anything else and um for a long time and it, it's just it's very difficult to manage that kind of relationship so and, and so i think it's i wouldn't i don't think i'd want to write it um not a true poly a threesome like a, getting you know getting everybody get together and having sex together like a one-off kind of thing that's not a problem but an actual relationship it's it's uh it, you know story where you focus on the romance side of it that's it's a it's a lot of i'd be too focused on the especially real, i think aspect. if if both men are, are are heterosexual obviously that would even be more of a problem than if you had like um i mean that is the big fantasy though isn't it right it's the two het men with one woman thing and they don't it's not that that's not a true poly relationship though no. that, i don't know that's that's one woman two men who don't mind being in bed together when they're fucking the same woman and that actually resonates i'm like i mean it, it could be right i mean that's that happens right but the weirder thing to me the weirder thing to me that i see in the threesome because there's different kinds of tropes in the threesome books out there is the gay couple that suddenly needs a woman in the mix it's like excuse me that like happened never I will, you know, if, if if two bisexual men get together, I can see them adding a third. But two gay men, why would two gay men need a woman? Yeah, but that is not the way it's written, though, right? It's like that there's this gay couple have been together for years, and I've seen so many of them together for. I had a friend who was so into these, right? Um, gay couple, and then they and they bring a woman into the. They find that what they need is the woman who moved in downstairs, and I'm just like, oh come on. <laughs> no, they don't. That they is that don't. is straight up a a heterosexual woman's fantasy right there. Yeah, straight up. I mean, because they're hot, they're willing to have sex with her, but more importantly, they're willing to have sex in front of her so she can watch. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's just it's it, it hits my suspension of disbelief in a really bad way, and I'm like, no, no, dog, no. So sometimes, I mean, sometimes I can read like fantasy relationship, fantasy, um, fantasy relationship, fantasy. Um, fantasy threesomes or whatever fantasy sex uh, sometimes i can read it and suspend my disbelief and sometimes other sometimes it's like nope that didn't work for me um it's just everybody has different tolerances around that kind of thing when i was shaping the relationship between the three of them in darkly loyal i i wanted it to be kind of like it seemed to seem natural that they would both that both harry and draco would end up where they ended up. Um, and I was like, if I, if, I, if I make them both bisexual, <laughs> it seems kind of contrived, doesn't it? It's like, oh, it was just a happy happenstance. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, well, it's just, you know, the, the convenience fairy. <laughs> <laughs> but 
then you know ex- exploring Draco as pansexual was um was really interesting i i really enjoyed that <laughs> sorry i'm not laughing at you i see what you're laughing at <laughs> <laughs> i probably shouldn't mute myself cuz i can't stop <laughs> no sweetie Just know. Okay, I think I got the worst of it out. Um, um <laughs> I can't even. Okay. I'm gonna um, have to edit out 15 minutes of laughing. <laughs> sorry. That's yeah, Draco out. did fall in love. Draco fell in love before um because uh he fell in love first and then the, the the sexual interest came afterwards and it was really easy to do with him because in canon you never see him exploring any kind of relationship with somebody i mean in fanon he's like betrothed to pansy parkinson but in reality in canon he ends up married to um uh astoria astoria greengrass so uh it made sense to me that there was no kind of hinting at a real relationship in, in, in Harry Potter because Draco had to get the emotion there be, um, before the sexual attraction would kick in. So it was really easy to, to put that into his character. And also, I think that one of the things with Harry Potter is that you could do is you can make it kind of like that it's typical that most magical people are at least somewhat bisexual um, as opposed to making it like a convenience thing you know, where it's just them. It's like literally everybody is pretty much bisexual. Cause I've seen that trope and it actually, I don't have a problem with it ever. Whenever I've seen it, even though I think partially because it, what do they say that, you know, if we didn't have hangups and societal expectations that the majority of the population would have some degree bisexuality. of bisexuality. Yeah. Um, and, and that so, actually makes sense to me on a um, evolutionary um, standpoint. I think that, um, uh, different variants of sexuality is probably a natural population control that we subvert with religion. Just saying. Yeah. So um somebody put Bob mentioned you since we're not either one of us religious, but <laughs> yeah, not a someone mentioned up above about wanting to write um or wanting to read a woman picking up male submissives. Um you know just Get all in on that. I will say one of the things about the femdom market is most femdom books I have read, I actually didn't get very far in them because they're very abusive. Uh, it's a weird, um, weird aspect of of that that little subgenre. See, a lot of times th- those writers aren't awful. writing a femdom; they're writing a bitch. Yeah, and often it, there's like a lot of consent issues. Uh, I always nope out once I get to the consent issue. It's cruelty. It, it, yeah, it's cruel. There's a lot of humiliation involved. Um, there's um, often rape, uh, and it just it's it's it's. I don't think I've ever made it to the end of a femdom book. So it's uh oh Twilight. I mean, I I want to say you're wrong, but I think you're probably right about that. <laughs> you know? 
Golden Girls is a prime example. <laughs> yes, people do. And, and women just live longer. There's that too. People do equate abuse with control and domination. And, uh, and it's, it's not the same. And if you think it is, you have no business writing it. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, the, um, the difference between, you know, consensual BDSM, whether it's SSC or, or Iraq or whatever, um, versus actual slavery. There's a big difference between those things. And if you don't understand where the line is, you really shouldn't be writing. SSC, sane, safe, and consensual. Right, right. SSC is safe. They're both consent. They're both uh, consensual models for BDSM. SSC is about safe and sane, and RAC is risk-aware consensual kink, um, because there's a lot of practices in BDSM that are not remotely safe. No. So um, I've always been more in the RAC crowd. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, play piercing um, can be dangerous if 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 you're having it done by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Caning. Um, you can die from being bull whipped. So if you, you don't want to get under the, uh, somebody who doesn't know what they're doing because caning can kill you too. I mean, there are countries in this, on this planet who use caning as part of their, you know, their, their punitive prison system. And sometimes they die. And I've, I've always found SSC personally, I understand the model, but I've always found it to be slightly misleading, which is one of the reasons why I don't, Safe. You know, talk to talk to people about safe, sane, and consensual is because um, it, it leads you to believe that BDSM practices are safe, and the majority of them actually have an element of risk involved. Um, and so that's where it's important that you be aware of the risks, that you mitigate the risks as much as you possibly can, that you play with people who are safe in the way that they approach the risks, and that it, your kink is negotiated and consensual so that's where the rack model comes in and that's where the p that came in with the we need we need to introduce this model that talks about the actual risk involved with a lot of this type of play because yeah just getting a nice hand spanking every there it might be safe sane and consensual um a nipple clamp for a couple of minutes is probably not going to hurt anybody but the thing is you can you know even the most mild practices can be done to a point that's unsafe and unless someone gets a really deep bruise throws a blood clot and has a stroke yep and the, the thing is, in in light spankings and stuff, you shouldn't have any bruising. But right. people people who are untrained do this stuff, and they don't know that you know. And actually, I've even seen some really heavy spankings that didn't have deep bruising. So, you know, you can't leave nipple clamps on for as long as you read in fantasy books, and yet people think you can. So and really, honestly, as sexy as it looks, um, as a masochist, I have to tell you that clothespins. Clothespins are really not the best clamping. No, no, they don't clamp well. Um, if if your nipple is small, it goes right through the hole, and it's not even all that stimulating. It looks cute, but it's not. It's not thrilling. Clothespins can be more effective um, on the body, like you create a zipper. Um, but even that, you have to be careful not to leave them on too long. So, um, but anything you, you put you know, circulation problems, nerve damage. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that's where the idea that, you know, uh, people, people talk about safe, sane and consensual and they approach BDSM and they go, oh, these, this must all be safe. This one must all be safe. No, 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 no. no. 
No. Somebody somebody cannot use, you know, set you on fire and you call that safe play. You know, urethral sounding is not safe. You can make it as safe as you possibly can, but you have to be aware of those risks. And honestly, the safer you make it, the less sexy it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the damn truth? <laughs> I mean, it's probably, it's really safe. It can be very intense experience for the the bottom in those situations. But, you know, it's probably, it takes, sometimes can take a while to get in the headspace when you're, you know, like if you're doing like fire play and there's like a safety people around and you've got multiple tables with all this stuff laid out and there's fire extinguishers and you have to have a, a clearance on every side. And it's like, this just got unsexy. <laughs> deeply. It got deeply and, unsexy about five minutes ago, but we're still all in. <laughs> Yeah, and, all this know, equipment out, and we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, your 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 dom has got you tying your hair up and putting a damp towel over the back of your hair to make sure your hair doesn't accidentally catch on fire. Um, I mean, it, it starts to become like there's so much safety stuff that goes into it that it's like okay, we we, we passed sexy five minutes five miles ago, but we still got thirty miles to go. We're going there. <laughs> That's right. Buckle up. Um, but you know, I had a, um, I had a play course at once. Um, and the actual procedure of putting the corset in was not particularly sexy. I mean, I enjoyed the pain, but, um, it was very clinical because there was lots of cleaning and it smelled like alcohol. I mean, all I really smelled was disinfectant. Um, but afterwards having it in with the ribbon and being out, that was sexy, but also kind of worrisome. Um, uh, my partner who did it for me stayed with me the whole night, stayed at my side the whole night, didn't let anybody have my back, didn't let anybody touch my back, because it would have taken any some uh, a malicious asshole to put me in the emergency room. And it's not just somebody grabbing onto those ribbons, right? I mean, those are all fresh piercings. Right. So they, if somebody touches them and transmits bacteria to them, you could wind up with an abscess. And it's, yeah. It's just, it can be a, it can be And I had um, 15 on each side. Yeah, that's, that, and that's, that's a lot of work to do that many piercings. So, and yeah. I mean, I've talked before. Yeah, yeah he like was the a most, boss. The most, <laughs> most intense and most boring scene I ever saw in my life was flesh hooks. I was like, this is going on forever. It took forever. It wasn't, I mean, it, the piercings took forever. And then judging that they had gotten the suspension points right. And I was like, oh like two hours later it was like it was it was so dull it was so dull but it was also very intense too because someone was hanging suspended by a bunch of hooks so no but i, yeah, I mean the play piercing wasn't very deep um and it did go from my shoulder blades all the way down to the small of my back um a little on the outside like a traditional course it would um it was not laced very tight and like i said he didn't let anybody touch me the whole time we were out um um and not just because of his personality but because of medical concerns yeah. <laughs> he was a boss in more than one way honestly sometimes a little bitty teeny part of me misses him <laughs> but then i remember that he was actually a dick outside of both circumstances and then i don't miss him at all <laughs> He was a great dom, but an asshole. Terrible it's really part. interesting because a lot of times um, you build trust for somebody um, on a sexual front, like outside of the bedroom. And it was actually the exact opposite. 
um, there was lots of trust between us when it comes to sex, when it came to sex and the other things that we indulged in. But outside the bedroom, we were like oil and water. Yeah. But I think what he really wanted was a pet. And y'all know me, right? Um, I, I, my nose just wrinkled up. I was like, um, that was a mismatch. <laughs> Uh, no, just we didn't have we had a great dynamic exchange in the bedroom but we had a terrible dynamic exchange outside of the bedroom right so you know he was he was very much a sadist i'm very much a masochist it should have worked but he um you know like i said i'm pretty sure he wanted a pet no And sometimes that happens and you don't, you know, that's why communication is super, super important. Yeah. I mean, also because people have different expectations, right? I mean, like, I never wanted a 24 or seven play partner ever. Mm -hmm. I never, I never wanted that kind of relationship with somebody. I don't want that much responsibility for another person. It's so I'll work. Yeah. So you know, when you play with someone semi-casually or you play together occasionally at the dungeon, sometimes you have hookups or whatever. There was somebody that I actually finally played with her once because I would always meet people in the dungeon. You know, I didn't bring people home. Um, and so I had to know somebody really well, have played with them quite a lot and gotten to know them outside of the dungeon to let them into my house. And uh, there's one lady that I did eventually bring home. And then I find out that she really, really wanted to, you know, be a full-time submissive and live with me. And I was like, oh... Oh no, baby! <laughs> oh no, sweetie! No, no, no! no. That—that's that, not. And her thing, she her her biggest thing that she liked was service submission, and which was fine in the dungeon. I mean, that wasn't ever an issue. But I wouldn't enjoy that twenty four seven. I don't I'll know. Be... Would she clean my house? <laughs> she, <laughs> she would. Do, do, yes, she she would do that probably. Yeah, go clean Kira's house. <laughs> I'm getting you a plane ticket. <laughs> I mean, if she cleans my house and all I have to do is spank her ass, it doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem like a problem, but yeah, it, it was for me. I was like, no, uh, I'm only kind of kidding. Yeah. Well, no, but the thing is, it was like she when I we talked about what she wanted. She wanted things like she wanted me to set her daily schedule and set her daily goals and decide what she was going to eat. And I was just like, Oh God! Well, I was like, No, I just I didn't I didn't want I didn't want to do that with somebody. It's just it was yeah. Not, she she definitely wanted to be a pet. It was not what with, I like with less autonomy than a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, Okay, I just I don't I don't. I wouldn't have that kind of patience for anybody for any purpose. You notice I don't have kids, right? And that feels a little bit too much like <laughs> having a child. I don't even want to plan my own meals. You're absolutely right, TK. <laughs> much less yeah. plan somebody else's. Figuring but, out my husband's lunch tomorrow is a trial. Well, but the thing is, because it's based, you, the thing is, I mean, I know people who do those kinds of relationships. The thing is, if I there's an expectation there, right? Like if I actually set a schedule for somebody and I give them, cause I've done like weekend things like weekend getaways that had this kind of vibe to it and it wasn't a problem. But the thing is when you set an expectation, you're supposed to follow through when somebody doesn't do it, when they don't do what they're supposed to do. And I'm just like, I can't do this every day. I, I, no. If somebody wants a spanking, I will spank you. I'm not in, I'm not in the punishment game. It just doesn't really work for me. 
you know, I, I'm not interested in controlling somebody to that degree. So it just was, that was not, that's not my jam. Some people really dig it. It's not for me. Never that's was. Why, that's why I diamond. That's why a discussion about dynamic and needs is so important. So, so important. So would you, so, so you have the super kinky pen, um, pen name set aside. Um, would you write a book to match it? I've thought about it. Um, I did start um, a BDSM book. Um, I think I need to go a different direction than I like the idea I had, uh, but it definitely um, I was writing it um, female, female. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think I could give you know, I might write it for myself, but I don't think I could get a publisher to pick it up. So, well, it's a hard market. Mm -hmm. Female, female is really hard. What so. I want to say about that is that, you know, you see a lot of um, people talking in the LGBTQ plus is it mm -hmm. plus at lgbtqia plus yeah i plus okay i'm talking about representation and about wanting to see these books but then you see these really good lesbian romances um that make no money i have a friend who put out one um, it was excellent it was a really good book about a decade ago um and her publisher dropped it after six months because it made zero sales that's really sad it's probably one of the best books I've ever read, actually. And I'm like, you know, if you want this representation, then you need to put your money where your mouth is. Because one of the reasons why you don't get a lot of lesbian fiction in the modern market is because publishers know it does not sell. Yeah. It, and the thing is, I, I've talked on a couple of message boards about this issue and it has some people claiming to me, oh, yes, there, 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 are, there are like female, female books that sell really, really well. I'm like, point them out because that's Show not me what one. I've heard. You know, Margaret, ask your publisher. Um, don't change your plan just because th this conversation is, is happening. Um I think it's important to take risk as a writer, but also um, if there's nothing out there, then the genre dies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if she's willing to take that risk with you, um, then do it. Just don't be disappointed if it doesn't sell. Because um, You know, honestly, if I would give any piece of advice to a writer um, having been pro-published as long as I have is that never count your success um, by the copies you sell and the money you make. Because you're just setting yourself up for immense disappointment because you can't determine the market and you can't build your, um, your image, your self-image as a writer on that. Be proud of your work and be proud of your characters and build your um, build your self-image on that, on the quality of the work that you produce. And I'm going to get in off my soapbox and go stand over here in the corner. <laughs> There's a comment in the chat I don't really understand about... 
I mean, not all female, not all lesbian romances are written by lesbians. I think a lot of those, those, um, only uh, er, blah, blah, blah. Say her name for me. Arate? Arate. Only lesbian romance I've seen have been literatures and they don't have happy endings. Yeah, because it's really important to punish the gay characters by killing them. Uh, and that, yeah, I do think that a lot of times those books where, you know, the, the gay characters get killed were written by straight people. But then most male-male romance is written by women. No. Boys Don't Cry is, is actually a transgender story, not a lesbian story. And it was based on a true story. I mean, I'm not interested in writing um, sad, sad stories regardless of the pairing. No, I'm a romance writer. It's going to be a happily fucking ever after, and I mean it. <laughs> I don't, and I don't care who's writing who. Um, but yeah, I do think that there's an issue with. Um, I mean, I hope that I hope that Margaret, the publisher, picks up the 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 story. But I would definitely, I would definitely run it by my publisher first. But I just. You know, I've been like warned repeatedly that, that there's not a good market for it. A lot of publishers wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. So it's, you know, it's one of those things. And it's unfortunate. It is, it's unfortunate that it is so hard to. And, you know, and, and you look at the, it, you look at the gay market and um, it, it needs to be acknowledged that most male male romance is not only written by straight women, it's bought by straight women. Yeah, which is why they're not, which is why there's not uh, the same market share even possible for female female because a lot of those straight women are not remotely interested in reading two women together, and that's just the truth. There may be some straight women on listening to this podcast or in the chat room who would read female female happily, but the majority of them will not. And weirdly, the majority of them won't read Het either, which I don't understand. Oh, weirdos. <laughs> You know, honestly, I think that two females and a male is a harder market. Um, because that's a romance that's written for women. And um, and most honestly, and as, as horrific as it is, romance is normally geared towards heterosexual women. And... Um, The fantasy for the average woman in her 30s and 40s, which is what the market you're writing for is, Margaret, is two men and a woman. <laughs> yeah, if I was going to write female, female, I'd just go all in on it. I wouldn't. But don't, but know. don't, don't do that to your story. T tell the story that needs to be told. And if um, the, the publisher says no, you can release it as a free story on your site to um, for 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 publicity. So write your film your film slash story. You know, be true to the story that you want to tell because that's the important part. Don't get wrapped up this young in the idea that if you can't sell it, you shouldn't write it. Never. 
Never feel that way about your work. Write first, sell second. And if it doesn't sell, put it on your website, make your asshole readers read it for free. <laughs> yeah. Read this. So I did try to adapt this one BDSM story I'd started to head or male male and it wasn't working. Um, sometimes you just can't take two women and plug them into a different gender, you know, gender configuration and have it come out even remotely right. So um, I mean, I may finish that story someday, but uh, that day is not today. But yeah, I would definitely consider writing BDSM under my kinky pen name. If I wrote BDSM, I would definitely publish it under Kara. I don't plan to have a second fandom pen name. I'm just, it's all going to go under Kara. People can, I don't care what people think. Yeah. Fuck it. It's all going to be right there. Het, gay, BDSM. Well, it is hard to break into the romance market, het, male, male, no matter what, if you just, you know, that's why people are so invested in going into Kindle Unlimited. Um, and is, but Kindle you know, Unlimited is killing the, the independent publisher market. I have to tell you that. Yeah. I blame actually, Kindle Unlimited for the, for the destruction of most of the big um, independent houses. Sam Hain, Lucid, probably Alora's Cave. Yeah, it's been, it's been terrible. And Kindle Unlimited actually is so rife with fraud that... Um, it people aren't actually getting what they should have. The authors aren't getting what they should have because Kindle Unlimited is a, is a pool of money, right? Right. And pe people get paid based upon some metric, and that metric has changed over time. And people always figure out how to game the system, and they put these crap books up, self-published, and put them in Kindle Unlimited. And the the bit the biggest the most fraudulent um uh they're not even authors they're like book farms that do this stuff can clear a hundred thousand dollars a month. On Kindle which Unlimited. is disgusting it is disgusting and then there's authors who get a few pennies so that fraud is coming out of the the hands of, of these fraudulent books are coming out of, the, of that money going to pay these frauds these and honestly and the, my problem with it is amazon could put a stop to this they don't because it doesn't hurt them and that's the truth because the pool of money is the pool of money regardless of how it gets dispersed so it doesn't matter to them if there's fraud and authors have no way to make money if they don't go into the, if they don't already have a following of some sort, they don't have really have a way as a new author to make money unless they go into the Kindle unlimited. And it's just, it's just, it's an ugly vicious cycle that it, it is contributing to, the problems, you know, with with independent publishers, it's even creating the, problems that the worst big part with, you know, the, the worst part of Kindle Unlimited is if your book is in Kindle Unlimited, it can be nowhere else, not even your own publisher site. Yeah, it that's can a, only be a, for sale on Amazon if it's in Kindle problem. Unlimited, which is why Cobblestone apparently doesn't do Kindle Unlimited because I asked about it because I did not want to be part of that because I think Kindle Unlimited's a nightmare. It is. It's terrible. Um, so it's just, it, it's not, you know, even if Cobblestone had the option of going into Kindle Unlimited, I would give a hard no on it. 
because it's just it i find i find it's one of those things that amazon is i, I mean it's one of those things amazon is doing that i really bothers me that they don't put a stop to the fraud when they could now because kobo also has uh kobo is the canadian um Japanese company they merged. They also have a um, relationship with Walmart. They're apparently they have a lending library as well, um, but they don't put any limits on whether or not your book is elsewhere. So, well, that's much nicer. And hopefully they, um, you don't have the fraud problems that Amazon has. I mean, like I said, Amazon could fix their does fraud a really problems. good they, job of curating their to. content. I mean, and if you don't like, they got they got hit by a um, an underage novel, pedophilia, um, and or it might have been incest. One of, one of the way, anyway, it it caused a big stink in Kobo um, with publishers, and after that, um, publishers have to go through a and self pubs have to go through a gauntlet on Kobo. So it's not like slapdash situation that amazon has yeah i mean amazon i mean a lot of what's in kindle unlimited not all obviously but a lot of what's in ku is uh self-pub stuff that's published through kindle direct and not kindle direct kdp yeah um and yeah it's, it's it's kindle direct publishing so they merged. They merged there because that's also now their print. Their print that used to just be their print. Yes. So they merged. They, okay. They their print used to be Create Space. Create they Space. Merged right. Create Space with KDP. Okay. So Kindle Direct. A, a lot of people who publish Kindle Direct, they go straight into Kindle Unlimited, and and they encourage you to. Amazon encourages you to. Uh, the the problem is is that you know you may never make more than a few pennies doing that. You may get nobody ever made. You're relying on people somehow finding your book, downloading it, and actually clicking through all the pages. And a lot of self-published books aren't not aren't something that I'm going to get through more than a few pages of. And that's just... I'm not a member of Kindle Unlimited, and I wouldn't be. I, I was when they first introduced the program. Um, I thought, oh, that's like a good idea. Within a, like, no, this is not a good idea. No, it's not. It's <laughs> I actually, I actually got out of Kindle Unlimited the first time I heard about the fraud thing. I don't remember how they, they now they pay by page. I think it used to be you had to get to the end of the book. Um, but even then, it's only pennies a page. So if someone opens up your book and they read five pages, you get, you get, you get seventy five percent, or seventy percent, or thirty percent, depending on their location, of those five actual pages. Yeah, and the pro and that what the where the fraud is now because it used to be getting to the end of the book and there was some fraud metric that they people figured out how to game the system, um, and when they, what they, they did is they started doing book stuffing as people would put whole other novels as freebies in the back of a book, so people would just keep clicking and they just keep reading right, and then these um, fraudsters would pay people in, in countries pennies on pennies an hour with multiple devices in front of them just going through and paging through them these these books that they wow had put up on kindle unlimited and they make a fortune doing this wow that is so ugly right so and kindle could put a limit they could put a stop to book stuffing they could but they don't 
So, you know, so there are better ways to handle this kind of stuff. So it's, I have, you know, I've, I've sometimes have really negative feelings about some of these programs. I get that it's great for readers, but honestly, I'd rather read one good book than 20 bad books or 20 mediocre books. I'd I mean, rather I read know. one good, good book than have 20 books on my Kindle that I'm not going to read because they suck. Right. I mean, and I know I have friends who are in KU who will go through five books a day. And I'm like, can you even remember the plots of any of those books? I mean, I get, I have a voracious reading appetite too, but when I'm like, like going through and reading a bunch of fanfic, there are times that it all gets blurred together. Right. So my own shit gets blurred together. That's why I have a database, an Excel spreadsheet of my original characters. So I'll end up naming them all John. <laughs> Or but, <laughs> but you know, you just just like when you read fan fiction, there's that fanfic that is us. It's amazing. It's like you read it and you go, "That sticks out in my mind," and I re I'll remember that plot forever. You know, that's the kind of original fiction I want to read. Well, and honestly, that's the original fiction I want to write too. But we shall see. <laughs> I want people to remember. I want them to go. I really love that character. I especially want them to go. I really love that character because that's what really makes a difference to me. I don't have a name database for my fan fiction. I think Lady Holder's Pokemon saying I probably should, but I'm not gonna because I'm lazy. Just saying. I haven't noticed this, so I'm curious to see what she's about to say. Well, Brad is not, I do Brad on purpose. Yeah, and I do Robert on purpose. I don't have any red shirts and Sentinels of Atlantis. But you know what that um, that, that that boils down to? Um, is background characters having the same name? Name generators. Yeah, that does happen. Name generators and me not writing shit down. And that's the thing is when you when you create any kind of character, even if it's a one-off name, you really should write it down to make sure that you don't use that name again in your story. Otherwise, you write two different stories with a, with a central character named Liam, and that's just... Yeah. Well, then they're not red shirts if they don't die. Right? She's just picking on me. She's she's so mean. Um, I did kill Simpson twice in um, my Revenant story. I had to change the name. So... But that, oh, I think, wow. was actually more like a hostility burn than um, anything else. Because I haven't liked Simpson since she got all shitty with Rodney about John having that bug stuck to his neck. <laughs> and, and you finally got your chance to, to, to kill her. To I use it. Therapeutic often. death. <laughs> How many times can I kill Simpson in one story? Let me count the ways. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> Some people need it two or three times, and Helen Simpson was one of them. Oh, I was so mad at her during that episode. <laughs> Now, the thing is, sometimes First, she's been all snarky with Rodney, which was really fucking inappropriate. And then she didn't even seem to care if Shepard lived or died. And I was like, man, <laughs> you're just pushing all my buttons. 
the thing is sometimes in real life um you do wind up with people with the same name i actually my real name is un fairly uncommon it's not super uncommon but it's fairly uncommon and um there was a point in time that I was in a small group of people, small, meaning like less than 20, and there were three of us. My names, both three. my names, um, are stupidly common. Bet you there were six of you in high school. There were two girls that actually had my full name in high school. <gasps> oh my god. Um, except the middle name was spelled differently for, for, for all three of us. But our first name was, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, so it does. It does occur, you know, that it's very common to have people with the same name, same last name, who are completely unrelated. Especially the more common their last name is, the more likely you're going to have multiples of them running around. Simpson, Smith, Collins, Jones, Johnson. Yeah, and um, we're we're never gonna get over the Agent Johnson, Agent Johnson, no relation thing, right? I mean, <laughs> and I've seen people put put that joke in and have two Agent Johnsons in a story, and I always figure it's a diehard tribute. Um, no relation, no relation. Uh, so it does happen that you'll have characters the same name. Generally, though, for the sake of the reader, you want to avoid it in in printed matter because I went to school with ten different Jennifers. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've got two Jennifers, just to, maybe three Jennifers in my family. What was I told you the other day? I've got like we've got like in my family we've got Chris, Christine, Christina, Christy, and Chris, Chrissy in my family. Chrissy. All of the, yeah, like, like every variation, and then there's a Chris, right? But it's it's a dude, so <laughs> it's a dude. You know, that's just that's just my family, right? So what do you do when you like out and about? You know, so we've and we've got two Jennifers in relate. You know, at least first cousin or closer so there's a um there are two carmichaels in um the in death series in jd rob i think the first time it happened it was probably a mistake and she called she ended up calling two different characters carmichael and then, and then she was stuck with it because it was published so now there's did now there's detective carmichael and uniform carmichael <laughs> Well, you know, the thing is, you kind of just have to, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, you have, you have to you own have to, it. You, have to, you do have to own it. You have to, if you're, and you have to have your character notice that there's two characters named Bob or two characters. Because in life, realistically, you're going to have two guys named Bob. Um, generally, rule of thumb for writing is you don't try not to have, you, you, you miraculously have everybody have completely unique names. But the reality is that, of course, never happens. So, but if you're going to have similar names, just draw attention to it and own it as opposed to confusing the reader. There's a scene in Hold My Coffee where um, Meredith calls um, this guy uh, Porter. Well, his last name was actually Parker, but she's been calling him Porter for like ever because she's being a passive aggressive jackass because he asked her out when he, when, when, when he got hired. Um, but now they they actually have a Dr. Porter <laughs> on the staff. Uh. <laughs> and she's giving out instructions. Porter, and she's like, she's like, man, I'm a physiotherapist. I can't, <laughs> I can't do engineering. <laughs> and he has to raise his hand and say, actually, she means me. You know, I'm Parker. And um, but she still calls him Porter and then calls her other Porter. <laughs> <laughs> Because she's porter. doubling down on the porter. And someone actually asked me, um, 
if that was a mistake, if she meant to call him Porter again. And I'm like, yes, she absolutely did mean to call him Porter again. She's always going to call him Porter. <laughs> Even yeah. though he's not Porter. He's so it, it can be, it can be funny. Um, but I did that on purpose. It wasn't an accident. So, but um, yeah. But you ever read? You ever read a story where there's like a like a, all of the like a bunch of the characters have very similar names, like Damien and Dorian and and I can't remember. There was one I read that was like it was like four four male characters who were at least were either major characters or secondary characters, and they all had very similar names that started with D and ended with N. I was like, what the hell? I can't keep up. It just starts to get confusing, but. Yeah, just try to avoid that in general. And if you decide you want to do it, do it deliberately. Hello, Tammy. Hello, other Tammy. I was almost, oh, this is terrible. I was almost charity. Oh, God. <laughs> Which, so, slightly better than chastity. But... Slightly. <laughs> Yeah, I was almost to charity. Oh, wow. My mom was a hippie. I was almost named Star. Which is why I named my house of Star. <laughs> <laughs> I like that name, Lady Elder. I love the name. I love the name Joshua. I, I like Joshua have. too. It's it's very um it's very comforting to say Joshua. Yeah, I like the name Isaac too, and uh, so both of those are good names. Joshua Isaac's a good name, very solid. <laughs> Jib, <laughs> nothing wrong with Jib. There are, believe me, there are worse initial configurations than Jib. I mean, think about poor Alvis Severus Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that boy was a parcel mouth. <laughs> If in my head can he actually existed, he definitely would be. I would, I I hope that it, I can't imagine in any story you would write that Harry would have a child he would name Albus Severus. No, no, I would not. Just you're gonna have to come up with a different A and S name. That was, I have to tell you, I think that was my favorite part of just the next time pocket. somebody asks you if you're an angel. You say yes, but the fall was hard. And then just lean real close up to them and sniff them and then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> you got to lean into it all the way. Well, I don't, I don't think she's, I don't think she was drunk. I think she was, uh, um, I think that she really believed that stuff that Severus and Albus were. That what Harry said about them. I actually believe that when she finished the story. <laughs> and that's fine. Authors can have blind spots about their characters. <laughs> no, but I was going to say, in, in the, in um, whatever it takes, um, somebody mentioned up above, uh, I don't remember what it was that made me think of this, something somebody said up above about guessing names. Um, my, I think one of my favorite elements of that was Eric trying to guess Shaw's name. That was... I had a lot of fun with that. It is a lot of fun. 
he creates um kind of a little intimate game. Yeah. That's innocent and not it's not it's not a spot that could lead to um Sometimes when writers are putting two characters together and they're slowly you know, getting that romance element, they'll put some some plot device in between them that has the potential to be kind of ugly. You gotta be careful with that. But the little name guessing thing is is it it's it is innocent and it remains innocent. So it's you know it yeah, creates well, intimacy it, and it's good. It, and when Eric wants to lighten the mood, he makes another ridiculous guess about because Shaw goes by his last name, so Eric doesn't know Shaw's real name, and so he keeps guessing. <laughs> and I didn't even have to look up any names for those awful guesses. So we, we, I hope you guys get the book next month, and I hope you are entertained by by his ridiculous name guesses, which aren't nearly is is. Ridiculous as his actual name. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> There's that too. There is an excerpt on her site. So go over and read it. Excerpt. Go over and read it. There's a link to the excerpt on the front page. You don't even have to dig very hard for it. It's below the summary of the book. And the hot ass cover. What's kind of Jewish? I think that the cousin was named after the murdered aunt. Right? I don't know what they're talking about. They're just, they're just in this whole little thing or their own little universe. They're not even listening to us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just double birded you, Ellie. Where are those? Wow. Where are those birds? Where are those? Wow, bird, where are those I bird had to do a search for them to to put them on my favorite bird. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna use one. a penguin to shoot somebody a bird. What's wrong with you? I just single birded <laughs> her because I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> she was giving us. Emotional support. Oh, that's right. Penguins are always emotional support. That really was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life when someone was talking about something sad on Facebook. I mean, on um, uh, MeWe, and someone had penguined it. I was like, that is so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> you have many interesting traits that make you special. People care about you. Keep being yourself. Self esteem penguin. <laughs> I actually consider the penguin a sacred symbol of, of fatherhood. Seriously? Responsible father. Well, well the emperor penguin. Oh. Not those little Both teeny tiny ones. Both the emperor penguins kind of go all in on that front, though. I mean, I mean yeah, that's, that's true. But it's just, a, it's just an unusual, it, it is a different dynamic that mom goes off to find food and dad stays with the egg. Responsible. Well, she goes off to find food so she can build up a restore to, so she can make a new egg. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. 
But he just. But I mean, if if you've never seen March of the Penguins, you should see March of the Penguins. That is an exceptional movie. It's just a thing. Um, but yeah, man, you know, I went. I went to. I went to four movies in four days. Four movies. Four yeah, days. I noticed, and you were I, disappointed um, mightily in many of them. But I, um, it actually, the one today was so bad that we canceled the rest of the week. <laughs> oh, so you had other movies planned? Yeah, we were going to do three more. We were going to oh. do seven days of movies. So we were going to do seven days in a row. And we were just like, I can't. we got to stop. <laughs> I, I need, I need probably going to need time to recover from this. This was terrible. Which was sad because you really liked the first one. And the, the, the second one left you kind of hanging. And the third one fucked you up. And left me hanging. <laughs> Thank you for two cliffhangers in a row. Uh, so the first day we went and saw Godzilla King of Monsters, which I enjoyed. It's got plot issues. I'm not going to give anybody spoilers. It's got some plot issues. If you can just go in and look at it as a monster movie and not as having a particularly stimulating plot, you will probably enjoy the fuck out of it. Um, day two, we went and saw Rocket Man. I was... I got nothing. It was... I think I called it irritating, boring, and heartbreaking, which is not usually three words that go well together. Because usually if I'm bored, the mo the stuff that's emotionally affecting isn't affecting me because it's like I'm bored. Um, so I was bored, I was irritated, and yet at times I was crying. So all in all, I walked out going, not again. I, I wouldn't even buy it. I wouldn't watch it again. Um, and then we went and saw Pokemon. And that was the best of the things we saw was Pokemon. And that's just a sad indictment on the state of affairs. And then this morning we went and saw John Wick three. <sighs> <sighs> Plot holes. It was an hour longer than it needed to be. It was just plot holes. Plot holes. I love the first one. I haven't seen the second one because she told me I should wait. Just, just into the third one was well, out to say the second one, but now well, I'm like I don't want to see either one of them. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna settle with John Wick one, where he goes off into the sunset with his new dog. Yeah, the the the, the first the first movie stands alone. The there's going to be a, at least a fourth and maybe a fifth, um, and the two three. Two, three, and four, at least, hopefully will have... They have one arc, right? I mean, three picks up minutes after two ended. So. Um, but the plot holes in three have pretty much ruined four for you, right? I mean, is there any coming I, back from it? I don't think so. Well, I mean, I just... I don't think so. I mean, they... I enjoyed the second movie. The reason why I told people not to see it was because it... Um, had a cliffhanger and there was no plan at that time for a third movie. They were talking about it, but there was nothing contracted about the plot hole. The biggest plot hole is that the third movie invalidated the second movie. So I'm just, I don't, um, I guess I could go into it, but I'd have to give a big old spoiler warning on the end of this podcast. Yeah. And I don't want to market for spoilers for a movie, the movie that just came out. So it'll have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. So in my opinion, it invalidated the second movie. So, and I enjoyed the second movie. So why would I want it invalidated? Anyway, um, which is weird since it's the same arc, but there you go. I kind of want to see Men in Black International. That was on our list for tomorrow. That was our tomorrow movie. And like I said, we, we gave in. We're like, I can't. I just, I got I to gotta have recovery time from this 
you know, travesty. We came home and watched like Disney movies. It was like I gotta like clear my brain. So I um watched a really awesome um clip of a of a video game called Cyberpunk, where Keeny Reeves uh, I guess did screen capture for for the game, and I was like, I want to buy this game. <laughs> I need this game. How do I get this game? How do I get it? it? Now I need a new Xbox. Fuck it. <laughs> now, Men in, Men in Black International is getting panned internationally. But, I mean, getting, not internationally. It's getting panned by critics and audiences. But I look at that and I go, yes, but John Wick 3 was praised by both. So, you know, yeah. sometimes these things don't work out the way you think they will. Oh, yeah. But I will discuss the plot whole problem after we stop recording if anybody wants to hang out to hear it. And you can give me your opinion if you disagree. Well, we're we're hitting two hours, two and a half hours. So we probably need to cut it up anyway. <clears throat> okay. But Jilly's book's coming out in on the 15th of July. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how many days that was. I was like, fuck yeah, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is there is a countdown ticker on my site, and it is 26 days. 26 days. 26 days from now. <clears throat> and don't worry, you won't miss it, because we will let you know. <laughs> I will be, I'll be all up in that. Let me go figure out how to... Not figure out, but... Go to the spot to tell Craig goodbye. Bye, Craig. Whenever I think about saying saying goodbye to something inanimate, I think about that scene in um, uh, Castaway where he, where he loses Wilson. He's like, Wilson! Wilson, I'm sorry! <laughs> and then I cry. It was really sad. But then he got, you know, a, a new Wilson. <laughs> but it wasn't the same. But I think to myself, what if he'd actually been able to bring Wilson home with him? I mean, if he'd been walking around with that fucked up <laughs> That could have been very emotionally unhealthy for him. Soccer ball. I think that people would have been like, dude. Put the soccer ball down. We, we, we need to have a conversation about the soccer ball. What do you mean? There's nothing wrong with Wilson. There's nothing wrong we, with can't, Wilson? We, can't have, we can't have a new Craig, though. There will be no new Craig. I refuse. There's just one Craig. There's just one Craig. So, say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>